Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Tuesday evening where we will continue our reflections into the book of Genesis. It really has been an honor, my friends, to engage you with this very rich book that has had us already considering in the first nine programs, the first nine podcasts, so many beautiful topics, to the least of which what we have been talking about over the last week, this call we have to live out our vocation in God's very love. And we do this most profoundly as we enter deeper into our sacramental vocation. This evening, we are going to take up the seventh day, and this will have us considering the importance of the Sabbath. And there are some what I believe to be significant reflections that come to us from Benedict XVI, as well as the commentaries, that we need to spend some time with to really think more critically about how we go about living our lives, what our days look like, right, from days one to days seven, especially as day seven is ordered to worship. So with that, let us turn to Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it God rested from all his work which he had done in creation. All right, so more topically, what's going on here? Well, what does it mean to say that in verse 2, uh, God finished his work and he rested? Well, the term rested really speaks to God instituting the Sabbath by setting the example for its observance, right? For man, to bear the image of God means to bear the responsibility of imitating God in the weekly rhythm of, of labor and rest, right? Hence, the point is not that God had grown tired after creating the world. He needed some kind of divine siesta. No, 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 but that we have need of rest when we labor in imitation of him. So my friends, the Sabbath, which is set apart for the worship of God and the contemplation of his works, is really the sign of his covenant with creation and how we might enter into covenant relationship with just not who God is as creator, but really more importantly, who God is as father. We've talked about that, right? <laughs> and we will speak more to that as we get into the second creation account. Verse 3, so God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it. So what's going on there? God sanctified the seventh day, and as he does so, he makes it a holy day. The lesson is that work is ordered to worship, lest man become a slave to his labor and fail to acknowledge his total dependence on the Lord. Why do you think we have the first beatitude as the first beatitude? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. 
because it very much speaks to this point, right? The whole Sermon on the Mount is hinged to this beatitude because this beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, speaks directly to our dependence upon God for all things. Blessed are those who long for God the same way our lungs long for air. That's the idea there, that we might be completely dependent upon God. And certainly by fulfilling our duty to just not go to Mass each and every Sunday, but also to, <laughs> to go to Mass as, as often as possible. Yes, our foundational duty is, is to go to church on Sundays. But for those of us who have the availability to even go to Mass more frequently than that. Why? Because the more we attend Mass, the more of what we do will be ordered to worship, right? It's just simply spending more time with God. Now, Benedict XVI offers up some beautiful reflections that I want to reflect with you. Now, I am drawing from a book in the beginning, A Catholic Understanding of the Story of Creation and the Fall, and these are a series of homilies given to us from Benedict XVI. And in these, what he has for us is some beautiful, I would say, deeply biblical reflections. You have heard me talk about the importance of interpreting Scripture, just not one verse in light of the next verse, but one chapter in light of the next chapter, one book in light of the next book. When you do that, you get a deeper understanding of that kind of intelligible coordination that lies within the text itself. So, for example, when you look at, say, a story in the book of Genesis, in the light of a story in the book of Exodus, you might glean something that offers a deeper insight into Scripture itself. Um, and I speak to that because listen to what Benedict XVI has to say here as he himself is reflecting into the creation narrative. I would like to seize upon two elements of creation. The first is that the biblical creation account is marked by numbers that reproduce not the mathematical structure of the universe, but the inner design of its fabric, so to say, or rather the idea according to which it was constructed. Okay, so here he, he begins to play around with uh, significant numbers, okay, and we have to be careful not to get too caught up in some kind of numerology that is autonomous from Revelation, but really invoke the presence of the Holy Spirit to see what the Holy Spirit might want us to see, and certainly, again, this is what Benedict does. So off the top, he considers the number 10, and he says this, the words God said appear 10 times in the creation account. In this way, the creation narrative anticipates the Ten Commandments. This might help make us realize that those Ten Commandments are, as it were, an echo of the creation account itself. They are not arbitrary inventions for the purpose of erecting barriers to human freedom, but signs pointing to the Spirit, the language, and the meaning of creation. They are a translation, he says, of the language of the universe a translation of God's logic, which constructed the universe. Isn't that beautiful? What is going on here? What is he saying? Well, the number that governs the whole is seven. So in the scheme of seven days, what we have is that which 
permeates the whole in a way that for Benedict XVI cannot be overlooked. For example, this is the number of a phase of the moon. And so thus we are told throughout this account that the rhythm of our heavenly neighbor also sounds the rhythm of our human life. For Benedict XVI, it becomes clear that we, human beings, are not bounded by the limits of our own little eye, as he would put it, but that we are a part of the rhythm of the universe, that we too, so to speak, assimilate the heavenly rhythm and movement in our own bodies, and thus, thanks to this interlinking, are fitted into the logic of the universe. So the Bible here goes a bit further. It lets us know that the rhythm of the heavenly bodies is, we could even say more profoundly, a way of expressing the rhythm of the heart and the rhythm of God's love, which manifests, of course, itself there. So for Benedict XVI to reflect upon creation and ten days anticipating God's Ten Commandments, it also anticipates creation and worship. So he says, with this we have arrived at the second symbolic element in the creation account. For here we encounter not merely the rhythm of the seven and its cosmic significance, the rhythm is itself at the service of a still deeper meaning. That, well, what have we already said? Creation is oriented to the Sabbath which is the sign of the covenant between God and humankind. Creation is designed in such a way, my friends, that it is oriented to worship. It fulfills its purpose, so to speak, and very much assumes its significance when it is lived, ever new with a view in and to worship. So creation, my friends, exists for the sake of worship. As St. Benedict once said, this is St. Benedict, the great St. Benedict, nothing must be put before the service of God. For St. Benedict, this is not the expression of some otherworldly piety, but a clear and very real sober translation of the creation account and of the message that it bears, brothers and sisters, for you and I, which has at its true center, we could say, the power that moves and shapes from within. Again, in the words of Benedict XVI, in the rhythm of the stars and of our lives, when we discover this, we begin to see the deeper meaning and purpose of what worship is all about. That our life's rhythm moves in proper measure when it is caught up in this deeper truth. What's more, for Benedict XVI, there's, there's another step to be considered. And that is how there is a very Sabbath structure to creation itself. You see, my friends, in the creation account, the Sabbath is depicted as the day when the human being, in the freedom of worship, actually participates in God's freedom, which is a participation in God's rest, and thus a participation for Benedict XVI in God's peace. So what does it mean, then, to celebrate the Sabbath, but to celebrate and to participate in God's great covenant with humankind? It means to return to the source and to be swept away in God's covenant love. 
that God would wipe out all the defilement that maybe our work has brought with it. More importantly, it also is a going forth into a new world in which there will be no longer slaves and masters, but only free children of God. This is what is behind the great exodus. Do you think that God freed the Israelites to just become another autonomous nation? As Benedict XVI <laughs> would say in his work, the Spirit Liturgy, Mount Sinai was just not another pit stop for refreshment. No, it was a holy destination. You see, my friends, God freed the Israelites that they might be free to become the people of God, and they can only become the people of God when they entered into what but worship of the one true God. And therein lies the freedom. Once we understand that the creation of the seventh day was about us entering into God's own freedom and God's own rest, ultimately God's own peace, then we can begin to understand why the seventh day is so important. And really, to talk about the seventh day as we are is to see it as foundational for all of sacred scripture. There is in many ways, as some have called it, a liturgical current or a sabbatical pattern. I mean, right from the outset, after uh, Adam and Eve, we have Cain and Abel and their ritual offering of the first fruits of labor on the seventh day. Out from Cain and Abel, who do you have? But Noah and the flood with the seven pair of clean animals used for the great Holocaust that we read about in Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. How about Abraham and his ritual precision of sacrifice with, of course, Isaac? What about Jacob and the altar for anointing on the seventh day in, in Genesis chapter 28, verse 18? Moses in the Exodus and that liturgical procession into worship. What about Joshua as he processes around Jericho in his conquest to bring people into the promised land? It was all about the seventh day. And how about King David and the establishment of the Passover liturgy in Jerusalem? All this again tied to the seventh day. And what is the deeper meaning of that seventh day and covenant? Well, something that we will really, really get into when we get into Genesis 17 is when we will read about Abraham and Abimelech, where they really established the first human covenant, if you will, where there was an exchange of seven ewe lambs. What's important in that narrative is the Hebrew word for oath swearing. The Hebrew word for to swear an oath is shavah, it literally translates to seven oneself, to seven oneself, to utilize the number seven in covenant making is an expression, an outward expression of that deeper truth that we just read about in the creation narrative itself, when God established his first covenant with humankind on the seventh day. So you see, my friends, we talk about the number seven as the perfect number not because one Jew along the way, maybe Eber, the father to the Hebrews, liked the number seven. It was his quote-unquote favorite number. No, 
because the number seven was the number that was ordered to God's covenant rest. And every time we go to Mass, every time we enter into what liturgy is all about, we enter into God's freedom, God's rest, God's peace. And there we will find our fulfillment. Here we should also be mindful as it relates to the sabbatical pattern we find in the Old Testament. We should be mindful that the Psalms were primarily liturgical hymns, right? Sung to the Lord according to the liturgical celebration. So as we speak to this sabbatical pattern, what we're really speaking to is the liturgical current, where we see processions and songs being sung. Incidentally, when you're looking for something that speaks to pattern, how one thing prefigures or anticipates another, you're speaking to what but typology, the study of types, the study of that which anticipates something else. We have the great study of typology as it relates to Christ, but you also see it within the Old Testament itself. The word typology, the Greek word typus, literally means pattern. If you want to appreciate how God has worked in salvation history, then, then you need to start considering the pattern that we are talking about now, right? And how it, of course, is fulfilled in Christ. Even the word history itself, coming from the Latin historia, best translates as to weave a pattern. I find it a fascinating reflection when you really, really start to probe this point because to use the phrase salvation history is to talk about how God has revealed in history what? His salvific pattern, the pattern which slowly points to Christ. I, I noted just yesterday that the word for salvation comes from a Latin root that best translates as healing or healing balm. So the study of salvation history is the study of how you slowly come to see how Christ heals, God heals, and in and through His Son ultimately transforms that healing into something beautiful as He restores us into right relationship with God. So to continue this reflection on the seventh day, we, we should probably go back and ask the question, you know, why did God create in six days what he could have created in a moment? Along with that, why does the seventh day constitute a commandment? I suppose we are so busy asking how long as opposed to why. And this is what I've been talking about. God creates man as the crown of creation and creates the seventh day as the climax of creation that we might share again in the very holiness of God. God gives us a pattern to follow. Labor for six days so as to rest on the seventh. God does not rest for his sake, but for ours. Our work must be ordered to worship. He offers us liturgy to understand labor. He offers us the mass that we might better understand what it means to be in mission. He calls us to worship, that we might better understand what it means to work. God has forged a relationship, not with just who we are as creatures, but who we are as sons and daughters of the one God who created us to what ultimately in Christ and His Spirit cry, Abba, Father.
So, practically speaking, what does this leave us with? Well, here we are to be reminded that we should not busy ourselves bringing our work into prayer, but our prayer into work, right? As John Paul, St. John Paul II once famously coined, in our work, we do not make more, we become more, right? We become more. So it is once we understand that, my friends, that we begin to understand the purpose of the seventh day, (laughs) becoming the person we ought to be. You've heard me say it before. There is always a gap between the person we are and the person we ought to be. And so how do we build the bridge between the person we are and the person we ought to be? Well, like you build anything, slowly, cautiously, meticulously, but intentionally, right? And over time, and it will take a lifetime to do so, hopefully, in and through His grace, we will have built that bridge that when we come to the end of the building of the bridge, we will hear those words from our Lord Jesus. Come, my faithful servant, have your reward. Have your reward for all of that meticulous labor that was rooted in worship. Huh? Incidentally, my friends, to be talking about what I'm talking about now, the grand significance of the seventh day is to really highlight the deeper meaning of the Mass itself, that the Mass itself indeed is heaven coming down here on earth, that we might anticipate on earth what heaven might be. And as we do this, as we attend Mass on a regular basis, we might enter deeper into that all-important conversation with God. Because as I just spoke to that phrase, (laughs) come, my faithful servant, have your reward, we will really only hear those words if we know and can identify what those words are all about. And maybe better said, (laughs) what his inflection and tone is all about. In that final conversation we will have with Jesus Christ, in that particular judgment, what the church calls it, particular judgment, we'll call it here as the final conversation, we would be well served, my friends, to be conversing with God in the here and now, each and every day, all the time, so that we might better understand what Jesus is talking about in that final conversation, that we might identify with his inflection and tone If in that final conversation with God, we don't get a sense of His inflection, it's probably because we haven't spent enough time speaking and conversing with God. Let us just put this to an analogy, and really the very real interactions we have every day. The more you spend time with someone, the more you begin to understand that someone for who they are. And you can pick up in their tone, in their inflection, what they are trying to say. My wife is quite articulate, but maybe I don't need her articulation because of all of the hours I have spent with her to understand what she intends to mean in her inflection and tone. And maybe sometimes (laughs) when she really wants to get a point across to me, 
It's just not what she says, but how she says it to really underscore her point. All of that, my friends, poured into that final conversation with God. Are you going to be able to understand what he's saying? And again, just not what he's saying, but also how he's saying it in his inflection and tone. If we can identify with all of that, we are going to be well served because it suggests, at the very least, that we have been spending time with Jesus here on earth. That in a careful reading of sacred scripture, we can begin to detect in a very mystical way an inflection here, a certain tone there. And you can detect that because you've been spending so much time with the inspired Word of God. The same Holy Spirit that brought creation forth, the same Holy Spirit that overshadowed Mary, the same Holy Spirit that, that in, empowered Jesus to say what he said on the cross and led him to the cross, is the Holy Spirit that abides within us and can help us better interpret the sacred text. And all of this that I talk about brings us back to the significance of the seventh day. Because if our work is not ordered to worship, if our work is all about making more and not becoming more, as St. John Paul II would say, then we're not going to be able to detect what we ought to detect in that final conversation. So let us build that bridge, my friends. Again, slowly, cautiously, meticulously, but always intentionally, conversing with God, that when we get to the other side, when the chasm has been bridged, we might receive our heavenly reward and enter into the eternal worship of the one true God. Amen? Amen. Let us close with a word of prayer. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.